we're talking about spiritual warfare today, and I put a couple of pictures up on the screen, and I want you to think about when our country was founded. I want you to think about the war movies that you've seen and, and how we used to do battle. And so here's the first one. This one, you know, you line up and you, and you shoot at one another, and how would you like to be the guys on the front line? You're going to die first. You get one good shot. Hey, I'll take that job, right? Nobody? No. Makes me crazy. And so then I started reading about this, and eventually we learned from the Native Americans. The Native Americans were much smarter. Now, this second, don't do it yet. The second picture, we've learned from the Native Americans, but not enough. Here's the second picture. Find a tree, but don't be like these guys. They're next to the tree and shoot. Okay, here I am. The Native Americans hid. My dad told me that when he was in Guadalcanal, that one night, uh, one day they were standing at the mess hall and people just started falling out dead. And there was a sniper in a tree and it took them hours to find this woman. She, it was a woman sniper way back in Guadalcanal. She had stripped naked and painted herself to look like the tree and it took them forever to find her. You have an enemy. And your enemy doesn't come out and say, hey, I'm an enemy. Doesn't wear, you know, have a pitchfork and have little pointy ears and a, and a tail. You're in a spiritual battle, and it's very, very real. Here's what uh, C.S. Lewis says about this battle. He says, the danger is to put either too much emphasis on Satan and demons or too little. I want to ask you, in your experience in America, do we put too much emphasis on demons or too little? Too little, somebody said too much. It depends on your background, what, what denomination you were in. I was in a Baptist denomination, and we put very little emphasis on spiritual warfare. I want to put the same amount of emphasis that, the, that God's Word does. And so we're going to read from 2 Corinthians 10, 3, and 4, and here's what it says. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not weapons of this world. So if you're living a defeated life, it's probably because you're fighting a spiritual battle with earthly weapons. Y'all ever heard the phrase, uh, going to a gun battle with a knife? So if you're going to a spiritual battle with, with anything of this world, it's like taking a plastic knife to a nuclear bomb type battle. Or even better... It's like taking a Nerf gun. Oops, I didn't cock it. She knew it was coming. She was in the first service. Take that, devil. Take that. Or Waylon's been here this weekend, and one of the things I love about Waylon is playing with him. With, and, and he started doing this last time he was here. He'd pick up a, a, a jet plane. He'd go, this is a plane, Papa. pop, pop. And he goes, pew, pew, pew. Or he'll pick up his man and go, pew, pew. And so I thought, if you're trying to fight a spiritual battle with earthly weapons, pew, 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 take that, Satan. And Satan says, that's so cute. I'm going to destroy you because you're ignorant of what's going on in the spiritual realm. Though we fight, the weapons we fight with are not weapons of this world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. And the New American Standard says fortresses. We're going to talk more about this in the weeks ahead. There are strongholds in your life given to Satan because you sinned. And actually, they're fortresses. Some of them aren't just strongholds. They're fortresses because of the repeated sin in your life. <clears throat> this is a very specific battle terminology, but the battle is not in this world. There's a spirit world where this battle is raging. And the Bible describes it as the kingdom of light versus the kingdom of darkness. And to fight in the spiritual world, we're not going to fight with nuclear bombs, machine guns, army tanks, 22 rifles, nunchucks, slingshots, plastic knives, or pew, 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 finger guns. How are we supposed to fight? Well, the Bible tells us. Finally, be strong in the Lord. Who are you strong in? 
this is really a big deal. Say, not my power, his power. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power, not your power, his power. Put on the full armor of God. We're going to talk about that in a minute. All of the armor, not just part of it. Why do you need armor? Because you're in a battle. So that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. This word schemes means strategies or battle plans. So what this means is the devil very specifically knows who you are and he has a battle plan to take you out. Your temptations are not random. They've been thought out and practiced for thousands of years as long as they're human beings to knock you out of this battle so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. One of the books that I'm reading is uh, by Tony Evans. Actually, I've got two by Tony. I've got one by Chip Ingram. I've got another one by Jay Carty. And I'm studying this, this spiritual warfare stuff. Here's what Tony Evans talks about where this battle is. It says in the he- heavenly realms, here's what Tony says. This war is different from all other wars, not because of its sheer magnitude, not only because of its sheer magnitude and scope, but also because this war is fought in a place we've never seen. Spiritual warfare is the cosmic conflict waged in the invisible spiritual realm, but simultaneously fleshed out in the visible physical realm. To put it another way, the root of the war is something you cannot see, but the effects of the war are clearly seen and felt. This is because everything physical is either influenced or caused by something spiritual. Everything your five senses experiences physically is first generated by something that your five senses cannot detect. Satan often tries to prevent you from taking the spiritual realm seriously. If he can divert your attention away from the spiritual realm, he can keep you away from the only place where your victory is found. If he can distract you with people or things you can see, taste, touch, hear, or smell, he can keep you from living a life of victory. And so then he talks about the location of the battle, and it's that heavenly realms. Here's what he says. Paul tells us that our battle is not against flesh and blood. Our battle is not against our neighbor, our spouse, our coworker, child, or even our own propensities or weaknesses in the flesh. People are simply conduits of the spiritual battle taking place in another realm. Our battle, according to the word of God, is against rulers, powers, world forces of wickedness located in heavenly places. Heavenly places simply means the spiritual realm. If you do not know how to navigate in the spiritual realm, you cannot hope to truly overcome in the physical realm. Does anybody here believe that you're living in the matrix like Neo? You believe that there are computers running your mind and it's all an illusion? So we're living in the physical world, right? Not only are we living in a physical world, there is something you have to understand. There is an invisible world. That's the first thing, number one, on your listening guide. Well, how do we know? Well, the Word of God tells us so clearly. We're going to take a couple of stories from the Old Testament. The first one was in 2 Kings. And the king of Aram is at war with the Israelites. And this is interesting. The king of Aaron is a pretty smart guy, and so he brings his security council together, and he knows that the Israelites' army has been traveling around the country. And he scoped out some places where there are ambush uh, areas where you could ambush very easily. They wouldn't see you coming. They could, you could take them out. It wouldn't even be a difficult war. So his security council says, let's go here and let's take them out. Every time the king of Aram has one of these security council things, God tells Elisha, the prophet prophet of God, Elisha goes and tells the king of of, of Israel. The king of Israel is a weasel. He he does not believe in the true God. And that's part of the reason they're in this situation. That's a story for another day. But this weasel man uh, who doesn't believe in God, he at least listens to Elisha. He says, all right, I'm going to test it out and see if his intel is good. So he sends out a search party. They go out and they sneak around. Sure enough, they see the army of Aram surrounding this place. 
they come back and tell the king, don't go there. Elisha was right. This happens over and over and over again. And you would think that the king of Israel would say, maybe I should pay attention to Elisha's God. He doesn't because he's an idiot. He's a weasel. And God eventually takes him out. But that's a story for another day. Go back to the king of Aram. Because this happens over and over and over again, he does what any human being would do. He thinks somebody in my kingdom is a spy. So he calls his guys together. He goes, which one of you is telling the Israelites what's going on? The, 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 the natural assumption is there has to be somebody. The earthly answer is somebody's telling them what's going on. Look what it says in 2 Kings 6.2. None of us, my lord, the king, said one of his officers, but Elisha, the prophet. They don't say he's the prophet of God. We know he's the prophet of God. Elisha, the prophet of God, who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel, this should freak him out. You talk about freaky? The very words you speak in your bedroom. Seems to me, if I'm the king of Aram and, and I'm attacking a nation who knows something like this, I'm going to say, hey, guys, let's attack a different nation, but not this guy. This guy says, let's send an army to take out this heavenly prophet, this earthly prophet who's getting heavenly intelligence. If we take him out, then we'll win the earthly war. And this is, this is just the, the classic example of trying to fight a heavenly with an earthly army. And he sends this army to take out Elisha, and he sends them at night because the, those who fight for God's enemy always work best in darkness. Look what happens. So um, the next day, Elisha's servant gets up, and he starts making breakfast. I believe he has coffee. Everybody has coffee. And I think this is the first instance of this. You see it in movies all the time, but I believe it's not in the scripture. I'm just reading between the lines. I think this, he takes his first sip of coffee, he looks up and there's army everywhere and he goes, <laughs> I think this first instance. This is, this is the Washburn perverted translation of the scripture, but this is what I think happened. He runs back in and wakes up his master, Elisha. What do we do? What do we do? What do we do? We are surrounded. Elisha. Elisha goes, hey dude, where's my first cup of coffee? Look what Elisha says. Don't be afraid. Give me my cup of coffee. Don't be afraid. I'm going to do what I normally do on this day, that this army, this, this physical army surrounding us. Give me some coffee. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. To which the servant probably goes, oh, the old prophet has finally lost it. You know, his prophecies have been great, but his math sucks. There's two of us, armies all over the place. God, and, and I think he's saying, dude, you're a prophet. Not only that, you're a bald prophet. See, in another place, these, these thugs came and make fun of him. They go, yo, baldy, go on up, yo, baldy. And, and, of course, he calls down a curse from heaven, and, you know, bears come out and kill him. And I'm like, so don't ever make fun of bald men, especially bald preachers, I'm telling you. You're a bald preacher, and I'm the servant of a bald preacher. One, two, armies everywhere. If there was ever a hopeless situation, this is it. Elisha said, Elisha prays. He said, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. See what? Into the spiritual realm. Then the Lord opened. Who opened? Not Elisha. Don't you ever believe a man can open your eyes to the spiritual world? a human being. That's another story for another day. Then the Lord opened his servant's eyes and he looked and he saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. And what do you think happened to that servant at that moment? No longer was he afraid of earthly. I think he said, oh my God. 
And, and when you say that to God, you're not using God's name in vain. You're declaring. Because think about this. I just, all kinds of tangents. How can you sing, oh, Lord, my God? It, you're singing it to him. That's not using his name in vain. It's not a cuss word. I think he became more afraid of the one who is in the heavens than the ones he could see. And see, here's the deal. You need to understand this. When we submit to God and pray, we submit, that means you're humble, and you pray to the living God, the real God. The invisible suddenly becomes visible for Christ's followers. The servant who could not see, all of a sudden the servant could see. And I'm just going to tell you, in the last year I've been a part of some prayer times where he, we have cried out to the living God, and, and we have said to God on more than one occasion, God, reveal to us what is going on in the spiritual realm. And I've been shocked at how quickly God has answered those prayers. Sometimes we've prayed one night, and by noon the next day, before lunch the next day, God has opened up things. And I should not be like the servant. By this point in my life, I should be like Elisha. No matter what's raging around me, I should be drinking my coffee and saying, Lord, open their eyes. But I was, I was like the servant. And I'm just going to tell you, you can have no more vision for New Life Community Church than the amount of time you submit to the living God and pray to the living God. So when you boldly walk up and you say, you should do this, you should quit preaching like this, you should preach this, this should do this. If you ever say that we should do something that contradicts the word of God, you're a false prophet. And the Bible says we don't have to be afraid of you. In fact, it says, if a prophet says something's going to happen and it doesn't happen, he's a false prophet, do not be afraid of him. People are all the time saying this. Look what happens next. As the enemy came down toward him, Elisha prayed to the Lord, strike this army with blindness, and he struck them with blindness as Elisha had asked. Next subpoint: when we submit to God and pray, the visible suddenly becomes invisible for the enemies of God. Becomes invisible. I can't tell you how many times, at least three times in the history of this church, I didn't know about it at the time. I found out about it later. There has been a, a group of people who wanted to remove me as pastor. And, and I found out about stuff later. And, and let me just say, if you have to go somewhere and scheme in the dark, you're working for the enemies of God because God works in the light. And when you bring it out in the light, if it's of God, it, it, God is not an author of confusion. If there is confusion... It is not of God. God is a God of order. And God's not going to tell you something different, me something different. Now, he may not speak to me, may speak to you. Like if Casey comes to me and says something, I'm going to go pray about that. And if it's from God, you know what God's going to do? God's going to impress on my heart and say, you're exactly right. Or what he does more often than that is God will impress Casey and God will impress Jeff and God will impress me. And all of a sudden we get together and go, hey, I was reading the Bible and this. And you're going, no way. I was reading the Bible. God said the same thing. And that's how God works. Not in these little prayer meetings, prayer meetings. Let me say, when you have those type of prayer meetings, you're praying to the enemy of God. Let's just call it what it is. There's a Holy Spirit. There's an unholy spirit. You choose which one you're going to serve. You go in the darkness, you're serving the unholy spirit. Don't you be bringing that into the, in the house of God. Psalm 33.10 says, The Lord frustrates the plans of the nations and thwarts their schemes. People scheme all the time to try to take somebody out or to discredit someone who's serving God. And it says, God's going to frustrate their plans. I have prayed this prayer, God, frustrate their plans. 
And then there's another one. This is one of my memory verses. I didn't put this on the screen. Proverbs 19.21 says, Many are the plans in a man's heart or a woman's heart, but it's the Lord's purpose that prevails. Because, and, and I don't mean to over-dramatize this, but there's been several times in 17 years that I've been this close to walking away. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. And God says, I have called you. And as long as I called you, you be like Elisha. Yes, sir. Another story in Daniel chapter 10 tells us this connection between the visible and the invisible. It's Daniel chapter 10, verse 1, reads like this. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a revelation was given to Daniel, who was called Belshazzar. That was his, his um, Persian name, his Babylonian name. Um, its message was true, and it concerned a great war. The understanding of the message came to him in a vision. So here's what happens. Daniel's praying. Daniel's a man of God. He stands up when nobody else will stand up other than his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Uh, that's, that's, again, their Persian names. And um, he stands up and he begins to pray and he says, God, show me something. So God shows him. He actually shows him kind of some of the stuff that, that we read about in Revelation, the end times. This is thousands of years ago. He has no clue what this means. So he begins to pray, God, show me what you're talking about here. Uh, he sees dragons and all kinds of stuff in the spiritual realm. He doesn't understand. God, show me. For 21 days, he fasts and prays, God, show me because I do not understand. And then in verse 6, he looks up and he sees this angelic being and here's what the angelic being looked like his body was like topaz his face like lightning his eyes like flaming torches his arms and legs like gl the gleam of burnished bronze and his voice like the sound of a multitude i think that's kind of what those that sound was you know that creepy sound i think that's kind of what a multitude sounds like it was just this incredible thing and daniel falls down in fear and the bible tells us no one else saw the vision no one else heard it but they knew something was going on you know the hair on their arms and necks stood up and they were like boom we gone and Daniel's left there fearing for his life. And here's what the angel says to him. Do not be afraid, Daniel. See, when, when, the, when, when a messenger of God shows up to you, you're going to be in fear. When you catch a glimpse of the spiritual realm, it will shock you and you'll be in fear. And if it's from the Lord, the first words they'll say is, do not be afraid. Since the first day, since which day? The first day, that's important, remember that. That you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before your God. You will not. When you, when you throw out your chest and you say, you need to do this or you need to do this, or I, you said this, but I know you meant this. When you do that, you are not hearing from God. He humbled himself before the living God. He says, from the first day you've done that, your words were what? Heard by whom the living God, the one in the other realm. And I've come in response to them. Look at this. This is, this is almost crazy if you didn't understand the scripture. But the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me 21 days. Not a, not a physical prince. This was a spiritual, a demonic prince. Then Michael, one of the chief princes, so Michael, the archangel of the other realm, came to help me because I was detained there with the king of Persia. Now I have come to explain to you what will happen to your people in the future for the vision concerns a time yet to come. God heard the prayer offered in faith. God sent the messenger, but because Satan desperately did not want Daniel to hear this and write this out for our benefit, he didn't want this in the word of God. So he sent a demonic prince to detain him. And the archangel had to come and help him get to Daniel. Daniel wrote it down. <laughs> Amazing! There is a spiritual realm that impacts the physical realm, whether you believe it or not. That's just two of the stories of the Old Testament. We could go on and on. We don't have time. In the New Testament, we already read a couple of things where Paul talked to the church at Corinth and where he talked to the Ephesian church. Here's another thing that he said to the Corinthians. 
He said this, Satan, and I, I, and I know this is a lowercase s, and let me tell you why. The reason Satan was cast out of heaven is because he said, I want to sit where God sits. I want to be like God. I want the glory of God. So this cosmic conflict is all about glory. And God has said in his word, I will not give my glory to anyone, not to Moses. Why Moses didn't go into the promised land. He said, I will not give my glory to anyone. So he cast Satan out of heaven. Satan hates him. Satan hates everything about the glory of God. So when we come and when we sing and we declare the glory of God, Satan cannot stand it. So I'm not going to honor him. I'm not going to give him any glory by putting a capital S. Most of the time when I pray, I write out, God, your enemy is attacking. God, destroy the works of your enemy. I don't even want to name him. I don't want to give him that much glory because I want to honor God, the capital G. So that's why I, did, I know it's a lowercase s. I do it all the time. Here's what it says. Satan, who is the God, lowercase g, which infuriates him, of this world has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. So here's the next sub-point. The invisible stays invisible to unbelievers. They are blinded by the God of this world. And any time someone comes to Christ, I guarantee you there's an Elisha somewhere praying for them, saying, God, open their eyes. I have a man I'm, I'm meeting with pretty regularly right now, and that's what I'm praying by name. God, open his eyes that he might see because I believe you want to save him. In the New Testament, not only does Paul do it, he warns about all of these schemes. Um, he, he says that, that part of the battle plan of Satan is to, to get division in a church. Anything that causes disunity in a church is sin, and so he'll do anything he can to get little groups fighting amongst each other. He says their demonic influences have attacked him personally, which means demonic influences will attack you personally. So, so Paul talks to all these different churches. John, the one who calls himself the disciple Jesus loved, he wrote a couple of books in the New Testament. In 1 John, he says this, we know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. There is an evil one. There's a righteous one, there's an evil one. And just in case you were unaware of this spiritual realm, if you ever read the book of Revelation, all kinds of dragons, demons, end-time prophecies about stuff that's happening in the spiritual realm. I just spit. Spitual, spiritual realm. And it's not just his followers who taught this. Jesus himself had personal encounters with the devil. Read Matthew chapter 4 where he was carried by the Holy Spirit out of the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Jesus said there's a devil. Jesus said there were demonic influences. There were spirits. Jesus, many of his miracles were in direct response to an evil spirit's controlling someone or, or trying to discredit him. So if, if we don't look at the Old Testament, the two stories we looked at, if we don't consider Paul or John... If we reject this spiritual realm, we are rejecting the words of the Son of God himself, that there is a reality that we cannot see. When we think that what we see is all there is, we get discouraged, and, and go ahead and put that up, yeah. If you're unaware of the war in the spiritual realm, you will spend your life in fear and defeat. So let me just ask you, how many of you have been afraid? I mean afraid. It's okay. Everybody in the first service, three people. In, well, you were in the first service. Have you ever lived your life in defeat? Just defeated. 
It's because you have taken your eyes off of the king of kings and you're focusing on, this, on what you can see. You've totally forgotten what you can't. Who wins in that scenario? When you're discouraged, when you're defeated, when you're depressed, who wins? The, God or the enemy of God? The enemy. the enemy of God. So not only is there an invisible world, we are, number two, we are involved in the invisible war in this invisible world. The enemy, the enemy attacks us in five specific ways. We're going we're gonna to fly through these. First thing the enemy does is he blinds us, he blinds the minds of unbelievers. Um, I, have a, I have a bullseye here. And, and so here's the thing. He blinds unbelievers so that they cannot see the gospel of the glory of Christ. He distracts believers. Now, if you're an unbeliever, this target is here or here, right? So over your mind because he attacks your mind or over your heart because everything you do comes from your heart. Now, when you become a Christian, he, the target moves to the back. And I'll, I'll explain that in just a minute. But just know there's a target, there's a bullseye, and it's either on your front if you're an unbeliever, it's on your back if you're a believer. So here's what he does. You're sitting there and you're hearing something about God and you think, we need butter. Butter? There was no subliminal advertising up there. Remember when that was a big deal? If you're old enough, you remember there was subliminal advertising. They put popcorn in, you know, so you'd be watching the movie and you wouldn't even know it was there. It'd go by so fast and you'd go, man, I want popcorn. That was intentional. That's what the enemy does. I got to take out the trash. Did I leave my curling iron on? I probably didn't, did I, Ryan? I didn't leave mine on, did you? <laughs> the enemy is trying to blind your minds. He's trying to distract you. He does not want you to hear the truth of the word of God. You want to know why? Because Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, then you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. Satan does not want you set free. He'll do anything to blind you or distract you. Number two, he'll steal the word of God from you. If he can't keep you from hearing, then he wants to steal it. Has there ever been a time you have heard something, heard whether here, another church, on the radio, whatever, you're in a Bible study, small group, you hear something, you go, man, that's profound. That's going to change my life. You walk out the door, boom, it's gone. Or the next day, boom, it's gone. What happened? Jesus tells us. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches it away, what was sown in their hearts. Who is speaking here? Jesus. And he says when something, when, when truth, when God wants to plant a truth, Satan will do anything to keep that seed from being planted. Third thing, he sets traps to ensnare you. I brought my favorite rat trap back. If you were here for our family worship, you know about this. If there's any point of weakness in your life, he will set a trap. That's why I like it, because it gets your attention. I've used this since forever. Not this one, because they get torn up. Let's say that you decide, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to purify my mind. I'm going to get rid of all this junk that whether it's pornography or whatever, I'm going to get rid of it. What does Satan do? He makes sure that, that some type of lustful image comes in front of you. And if you dwell on it, he's got you. It's a trap. Or you'll say, um, you know, I'm ready to leave the party lifestyle. What happens? Next day, your best friend shows up with a keg. Or maybe somebody in the first service said, not my best friend, it's my other best friend. Not my best friend. My best friend wouldn't do that. It's my other friend that would do that. You decide that um, you're going to get out of debt. 
your favorite store has a sale. Or your air conditioner. It's a trap. That's Admiral Akbar, just in case you didn't know that. Only, only the nerds among us will know that's Admiral Akbar. Yeah, look at him. They all went, yeah, we're nerds. It's a trap. You're not married. You're tempted to have sex. It's a trap. It's a trap. Proverbs 29, 25 says, fear of man will prove to be a snare. You know how many times I've heard somebody say, well, I was, I was afraid if I didn't have sex with him, he would leave me. Fear of man will prove to be a trap. But whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. Look at 2 Timothy 2.25. Gently instruct those who oppose the truth. Perhaps God will change those people's hearts and they will learn the truth and they will come to their senses and escape from the devil's what? Trap. For they have been held captive by him to do whatever he wants. When he has you, he drags you around. It's like he's got a little hook in your nose and he drags you back and you do it again and you do it again. Because once you've done it once, he has you. You're going to do it again. And you're going to do it again. And I guarantee you, you are not going to feel fulfilled because you are disobeying the word of God. The reason God had marriage, the reason God said sex in marriage, sex in marriage fulfills. Sex out of, out of marriage destroys. Another thing he does is he fights to stop you. You may hear some good teaching. Think, you know, we need to get out of debt. Next day, your car explodes. You decide, we're going to have a great marriage. We'll pray together, talk about Jesus, and at last till you get out the parking lot. And you get home and you have the fight of the decade. All oh, hell breaks loose. You want to tell somebody what God's done in your life? And their cell phone, they get a message. It goes off. Hold on a second. You know what it is? Satan's fighting to stop you. Those of you who have felt called to go on a mission trip with us, why didn't you go? If you felt called of God, why didn't you go? Satan fought to stop you. Those of you who have gone on a mission trip, has Satan ever tried to stop you? Well, there was a gun in my backpack. There was a lost passport there was this last year we're in houston about to get on the plane go and my truck is stolen come on what do you got i mean the people when i shared this at praying pelican they laughed and then i got to go to belize and i was sharing they were going no no you didn't really take a gun i'm like yeah i took a gun and i still got the haiti you didn't really lose your passport between dallas and and miami oh yeah and god moved the federal government to get me to haiti because i got my passport in five hours not even a day five hours exactly that's my point what do you got what's stopping you well look what paul says we wanted to come to you i paul tried to come to you more than once but satan stopped us next one he plans to destroy you be alert and of sober mind, 1 Peter 5, 8 says, your enemy, your enemy, my enemy, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking or looking for someone to devour. All right, those of you who are tech savvy, I want you to tell me what these three letters stand for. Shaking my head. All right, very good, very good. Now, I've got a new one. What does this stand for? You were here in the first service, sucker. <laughs> You did not know that. Krista was the only one that figured out in the first service. They're like, yeah, shaking my butt. You, you did not know that in the first service. Now, here's the point. All right, I'm going back to Elisha because he's my brother. Because, you know. 
You do not want, and I'm, I'm being silly, but I, you do not want the prophet of God shaking his head at your behavior. All right, this verse says, be alert and of sober mind, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. How dumb would it be to go on a, a safari in Africa, get drunk, go out at night by yourself with no flashlight and no weapon? You might as well say to the lions, eat me! I mean, you might as well take a little, I don't know if they like Tony Sacheries, I do, you know, whatever spices, lions, I'll just put it on, come on, eat me! I'll be shaking my bald head at you. Can I tell you, as your pastor, I shake my bald head at you all the time because of the foolish places you go, the foolish situations you put yourself into. It's one thing if the enemy tempts you. It's a totally different level to tempt yourself. Let me just put myself in the situation. I am shaking my bald prophetic head. I need to put another initial in there. I am not a prophet. I'm just... You've chosen to die. You've chosen to let the enemy destroy you. See, the enemy of God wants to destroy everything that God loves. He loves people. He wants to destroy people. He wants to destroy your virginity because virginity... God said, keep the marriage bed pure. He wants to destroy your marriage because God instituted marriage. He wants to destroy the church because God established the church. The Bible says that God hates divorce. The enemy loves divorce. God hates disunity. The enemy loves disunity. He wants to take you out with sin. He wants to disqualify you so that when you tell your story, people go, if you're a Christian, everybody in the world's a Christian because you do the same thing they do. He wants to destroy your finances. He wants to destroy your, your children. He loves debt and financial bondage so that you can't give and you can't go. Go ahead and put that up there if you would. I, I saw this. I, I get a lot of quotes from sermonquotes.com uh, and, and I put them on the screen in our, in our loop. This is one of them and I've left it up there for weeks because here, here's your option. Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations. Who said it? Jesus, not Doug. You have three options to that command. You can go, you can send someone else, you can pay for someone to go, or you can disobey. That's your three options. Every year people say, I should, I should go to Belize. Now, quite honestly, some of you shouldn't go to Belize. You're not living for God. All you're going to do is be a distraction. All you're going to do is, is open the door for Satan's minions to come and, and destroy things. But some of you are called by God to go. You're just flat out disobeying. Some of you have legitimate reasons for not going. I don't have any issues with that. You do not have legitimate reasons for not giving so that someone else can go. We had two people last year got to go for free, and they didn't ask to go for free. They said, I believe God wants me to go. I got zero cash. And I said, this was the coolest thing ever. I was like, guess what? Someone paid for you to go. Praise God is exactly right. Satan wants you fighting about money. He wants you worried about money. He wants to destroy your health. He loves sickness and disease and pain. He wants to destroy, he wants to destroy you. He hates you. So what do you do? Well, you don't fight this battle with this. Pew, pew, pew. Take that, Satan. Pew, pew. And your little popcorn prayers. Oh, God, save me. After you put yourself in a situation, 
after you, you willingly got in the trap? God, save me from what I'm about to do. That cheese looks good. I'm going to bite it. Save me, God. That's what you do. So when Paul wrote the book of Ephesians, he's actually in prison and he's chained to a Roman soldier. Can you imagine how boring it would be for the Roman soldier to be chained to a bald-headed preacher? Because we think that Paul may be bald too. There's a theme, right? I am searching the word of God to find the bald-headed men that God said, yes. But he looks at the Roman soldier and he looks from head to toe. And I think the Roman soldier is probably asleep. And he looks at his arm and the, and the, the Holy Spirit nudges him and says, write about spiritual warfare. And so he looks over and he sees the helmet first. And he says, put on the helmet of salvation. And we don't have time to read the verses today. We'll read this in a couple of weeks. But this is in Ephesians chapter 6. Put on the helmet of salvation because the number one place the enemy attacks you is in your mind. Next, he says, the breastplate of righteousness. And he says, put on the breastplate of righteousness. Now, you are not righteous. Nothing you do is righteous. The Bible says everything we try to do is as filthy rags. None of us is righteous. No, not one. But when you ask Christ to save you, he gives you the breastplate of righteousness so that when God sees you, he sees the righteousness of Christ. The Bible says that the heart is desperately wicked. But when you put on the breastplate of righteousness that comes from heaven, God looks at you. He doesn't see your sin. He sees the righteousness of his son. Third thing is, you have the shield of faith. Pick up, you know, imagine I've got this shield. Let's, let's say it's like, uh, it's like Captain America's shield. I don't know if it looks like that, but let's use that. All right. Because the Bible says that the enemy shoots fiery darts at you, and it says your shield of faith allows you to extinguish the fiery darts of the enemy. So the enemy says, you're nothing, fiery dart. You're no good. You're pathetic, fiery darts. You'll never make a difference. After what you did, how could God possibly use you, fiery dart? He just keeps shooting these fiery darts and you put up your shield and you say, oh, no, 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 no. Not only am I extinguishing your fiery darts, I'm a child of God. I'm chosen, not forsaken. I am who he says I am. You are for me, not against me. I'm an overcomer. I'm more than a conqueror through him who loved me. Don't you, don't you shoot those fiery darts at me, Satan. Next is the belt of truth. God accomplishes his will on earth through truth. The enemy accomplishes his purposes through lies. So when a child of God believes the truth of God, the Holy Spirit called, the spirit of truth works in that person's life. When the child of God believes the lies of Satan, the unholy spirit, the, the one Jesus said, the father of lies begins to work in your life. So faith in God's truth leads to victory. Faith in the enemy's lies leads to defeat. And then he gets to the sandals. And these sandals are these weird things. They kind of have spikes on them, almost like nails. And they're designed so that you could stand in one place and fight. They're not designed to run. They're not designed to kick. The, the nails, I think, the spikes are too long. They're designed to stand there and fight. <laughs> and finally, he gets to... Well, uh, so, so when you're there, this whole thing, the gospel of peace, so your sandals of peace, someone looks at you in the middle of a war, you're in a battle, and they say, how can you do this? And what you say is, you say, man, if I make it through this, I can tell more people about Jesus, and if Jesus takes me out, that's okay. Have you ever been in a battle so much that you've said to God, God, if this is the way it's going to be, can you take me to heaven? I've done it in the last year. I've said to my heavenly father, if this is the way it's going to be, would you please just take me out? His answer was no. I don't get to, I don't get to take my own life. And he doesn't condemn me for asking him to take me out. 
what he does is he, re- he gives me rest and he restores me and he renews that fire in my bones to do what he's called me to do. Finally, Paul gets the, the only weapon It's the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. If you do not have the Word of God memorized, then you are like wailing, pew, 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 take that, Satan. When you know the Word of God, you fight like Jesus. Jesus was tempted three times, three times. He said, it is written. And eventually Satan left him. The angels came and ministered to him. (laughs) See, so you put on this armor and the whole front is covered, but not the back. Why? A couple of reasons. Number one, the Roman soldier was, was trained to defend this amount of ground. I'm not supposed to step over here and fight for this guy. I'm supposed to be right here. Now, here's what happens. If the enemy closes in, <laughs> then a Roman soldier was defi- designed or, or, or trained to fight for this ground. So you got this guy here, 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 and they will fight to the death. And let me tell you, soldiers of God, you need somebody with the armor of God who will fight for you to the death because that, remember that target? It's now on your back. You're designed to fight the battle and the enemy's gonna come from behind. And how sad when the enemy is the church members stabbing you in the back. Reliable friends, I got a, I, I'm here, my reliable friends are covered in the army of, armor of God and they're here and they're here and they will fight. And there are some men that I would go to before I would go to anyone else and I'd say, will you fight for me? And they won't even think about it. Of course, I'll fight with you. I love you like my brother. Don't you dare think that there's not a, spiritual battle that impacts the physical world. See, in the Old Testament, Elisha saw the heavenly battle and he knew this verse. And this is actually one of my verses that carried me through one of my difficult times. Psalm 118.6 says, The Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? What can you do to me when I'm seeing Jesus? When, I, when I'm Elisha, Bring it on. Because it's not my power. It's his. Give me my cup of coffee. If I die, I get to be with Jesus. I get to see mom, dad, sis, Damon, grandma, grandpa. To live as Christ, though. Because if I make it through this, the only reason I make it through it is so I can tell you about it. I believe that God has brought us through some spiritual battles to prepare me to preach this series. Behind all those problems you can see is an enemy you cannot see. God showed Elisha, he showed Daniel, Paul wrote about it, John wrote about it, and Jesus, the exact representation of God, showed us how to deal with the spiritual enemy. The problems we face with our spouses, our children, our jobs, our circumstances, that's not the problem. Problems in the spiritual world. The real problem is you don't know about it or you're ignoring it. Let's pray together. Father, it's time for the army of God to be awakened to the power. You said the same power that raised Christ from the dead was available to your followers. Forgive us, Lord, for neglecting your power. Forgive us for being lulled to sleep. Forgive us for for being used by your enemy to stab brothers and sisters of Christ in the back. It's time for that to stop. 
You declared war and we're signing up for battle. Raise us into a people who desperately wants to serve you and please you and fight on the, on the team that's already won. Teach us what it means to fight from victory, not for victory. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.